Justin Pierce, and I'm the editor. Today's podcast is one of our series called NDA Meets, where we sit down and chat to people across the industry. And today, I'm really excited to be joined by Amy Williams. She's the founder of Goodloop. Goodloop is a company that's only five years old, but it's making huge waves uh, across the industry, helping brands and agencies deliver proper purpose-driven advertising. So, Amy, hi, and thanks for joining us on the NDA podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So we've got loads to talk around about today. Uh, I guess to start off with anyone that doesn't know you, which is just few and far between, if you want to give an intro to you, what you do and what Goodloop does, you've been going for five years now, I think. And it will be maybe. our fifth birthday on the 24th of this month. Wow. So uh, if I don't get a card from you now, it's going to be it's coming. It's definitely coming. <laughs> yeah, five years. Um, five years ago, next week, I um, met Daniel. Uh, a software developer building white label ad tech uh, in Scotland. And we started a company together, two complete strangers, met on the internet, started a business, what could possibly go wrong? Um, And it actually didn't go wrong. Um, It's been such a wild ride. We've had so much fun. We basically built Goodloop to be a platform that just creates more meaningful, more positive and more purposeful online advertising experiences. So many brands want to do good. So many businesses have fantastic initiatives around diversity and inclusion, social responsibility, sustainability. These things are top of the agenda. And actually, when we look at ad tech, you kind of miss the memo on that whole thing. And actually, a lot of advertising online is is a little bit annoying and interruptive and invasive. And we wanted to build something that was as positive and purposeful as the brands that flow through it. Fantastic. And you had record half year results in you recently so it's obviously obviously working so let, we'll talk in more detail about clients and what you're doing but first of all I want you to prove to me that the digital advertising has as big a carbon footprint as the airline industry so I just can't get my head around it I don't think it's true I mean how can digital advertising be as bad for the environment as as airlines okay so the simple fact is the internet not just digital advertising, but the internet has a larger carbon footprint than the airline industry. If the internet were a country, it would be the third largest emitter in the world. And the reason that that's so shocking is because it's so ephemeral, right? The internet isn't a thing you can hold. It isn't a, an object or a, you can't see any of the impact. It's all on servers and it's all tucked away um, behind, you know, out of sight. And I think We have to consider our role in that. There's um, an academic from Bristol University who's who's done some rough calculations on this and suggests that digital advertising contributes to 2% of the internet's uh, overall emissions. So we're not all to blame, right? There's there's other factors. But when you consider, especially uh, with the increase of programmatic technology, For every single ad we see, not only is there carbon dioxide used to transfer that ad onto the page and display the ad to the user, but there's also millions of bids that have been lost for the ad space. And each one of those bids have computational power behind them. So programmatic as a a whole is incredibly inefficient and bad for the planet. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's that's quite gloomy. But so, okay, so what people do, we know that everyone that works in this industry is worried about the environmental impacts of everything they do nowadays uh, in work and and in in home life. But so what can 
the industry do and what can individuals do? I mean, how worried should people working in agency be that what they're doing is effectively, you know, harming the world? I don't think we can worry about that because actually our industry, it does harm the world, but it also has the potential to change the world. And I think that working in advertising is a very empowering place to be if you're worried about the climate crisis. I think that our industry has three three ways that we can contribute. The first is by changing culture, right? When we advertise brands that are good for the planet, when we work on meat alternative brands or electric vehicles, when we, we as an industry are the architects of desire. We create what consumers buy. We've encouraged them to buy a ton of single-use plastic, but we can also encourage them to not do that and, and to give their money and their spend and their wallet and their support to the brands that are doubling down on sustainability in, in meaningful ways. So the first thing is just as a as an industry using our creative, our messaging and our influence to actually change consumer behaviour and change society for the better. The second thing is around what our advertising funds, right? We as advertisers are consumers. We are consumers of media. And the way that our advertising funds media is a really important part of how our industry shapes this world, right? Whether we're funding climate crisis content, important journalism, and making sure that we don't fund climate change denial. Just today, Google have announced a a really important piece of policy within their organisation that means that any YouTube content that contradicts scientific evidence around the climate crisis will not be monetized. It's kind of ridiculous they had to say that, but now it's happened and that's great. And that's all part of the work of the Conscious Advertising Network, um, of which I am a founding member and, and proud to be a part of. And then the final the final area that our industry can focus on is our infrastructure, the pipes, the technology, the things we use that use electricity and push carbon dioxide out into the atmosphere. And so in that area, Goodloop has been doing a lot of work. We, we've recently developed a green ad tag. It's just like a viewability tag, but for the planet. Uh, it's a one by one pixel that carbon offsets the data transmission within an ad campaign. So there's really simple things like that we can do to just make sure that we aren't having a negative uh, effect on the planet. So Green Ad Tag, tell me a bit more about that. Um, how how's it working? How's it been taken up? And also, what are the what are the barriers to take up? It seems such a natural and easy thing to, to do. So the story of the Green Ad Tag started about seven months ago. So Goodloop has always been carbon neutral um, from inception, but in a little bit of a finger in the air, don't really worry about it kind of way that I think you know a lot of us adopt. <laughs> when it comes to climate science so we kind of you know would sling 10 pounds a month at some climate change charity and not really worry about it and the thing that we were always conveniently ignoring is what um, is called scope three emissions so scope three emissions are the emissions of the things you buy it's nothing you as a company produce or sell or or, or use but it's the, the the products that you use the suppliers that you use and for a digital advertising company like Goodloop, or indeed any company that buys and sells media, media is a huge scope three emitter that, that um, has not currently been particularly well evaluated. And so seven months ago, I had a mandate within my business. I said, I want us to be net carbon negative and I want to actually make sure we are meaningfully measuring the carbon output um, of our ad campaigns. We want to be able to go to clients and confidently and clearly say there will be no additional carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere because of the ads you run. 
that's easier said than done. Like that's a really difficult question. And there's a lot of conflicting and contradictory views on how you measure it and who's responsible for what. Is the advertiser responsible for offsetting the publisher page or the user's device? Or is that, you know, their responsibilities respectively? So we went down a few different paths. We talked with a couple of different academic groups and think tanks. And where we netted out is a methodology that looks at data transfer. Um, this is a methodology that's universally accepted as a way to measure the carbon cost of websites. So it's quite a good comparison. Um, and basically, if you measure the data transfer, you know how much electricity is used to transfer that data. And from an advertising perspective, that's particularly good because it also can account for any layers of ad tech. So it's the file itself, plus any layers of ad tech that get an advert from an ad server to a publisher's page. And that felt like a meaningful piece of the pie for Goodloop to take responsibility for. So, so we developed that internally. We applied it to all our ads. We now are fully carbon neutral um, when we run our ads. But then there was sort of this moment internally where my CTO, so casually, like I think we might have been having like a casual lunch chat. And he was like, oh, yeah, we could put that in a tag, by the way, if you wanted. <laughs> One of those moments where you're like, really? Dan, are you serious? Wait, this is huge. <laughs> so, so we started developing it as a separate product. Um, we spun it out as an ad tag. And as I say, it's, it's just a one by one pixel. So it's it's really easy. There's there's really no barrier to just slap it on the ad and, and start carbon offsetting. So would you want to see this go across the industry so that, I mean, Google itself is, is doing this and the advertising you produce isn't adding adding carbon through through the chain. But do you want to how, how fast can this spread across, across the whole industry? So all advertising is essentially carbon neutral. Well, yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, no one would have thought to put a brand safety tracker on their campaigns. No one would have used viewability third-party tracking. And today that is absolutely business as usual, standard practice. And it should be the same for, for carbon. Um, how You mentioned the layers of ad tech and you know, the, the layer on layer on layer in the programmatic ecosystem causes lots of different problems in different ways, but that must be adding to this to this hugely. And is that how can you, I guess not you personally, but how can the, the value chain be policed when there's so many diffuse, often murky layers of ad tech? Well, that's why we went for the data transfer model because it doesn't then require transparency and collaboration from all of the different parties in the chain it just looks at how many how much computing power is required to get that ad from the ad server to the page so it is kind of a proxy measure um what we don't currently account for in the green ad tag and i do actually think it's really important to always like be honest about what you are and aren't doing like climate science is so new and the assumptions and the technology that we're working with is constantly changing so all we can do is say the piece of it that we're working on and where there are gaps and hopefully collaboratively other people can fill those gaps so uh, one thing I will absolutely hold my hands up and say Goodly doesn't currently account for is the loop that the the amount of bids on a programmatic request that are lost an ad to our green ad tag carbon offsets the delivery of a successful advert. But what we don't know is the win rate of the DSP and how many other ads were bid on and how many other ads were streamed in and then didn't actually become viewable or weren't actually served. Like there's there's so much. This is such a Pandora's box. Uh, but, you know, I do think everybody's moving in the right direction, like ad net zero and all the conversations around COP26. I've been blown away at the 
the level of engagement our industry has in this issue. So I feel really, really um, optimistic about it. So let's talk a bit about COP26 that's coming up and add net zero. I mean, I guess most people listening know of it, but maybe not everyone knows exactly sort of how, of the details and how much good it's doing. Do you want to explain sort of what it is, how it's working and, and yeah, how, what's, what's happening in COP26? Yeah, so it's um it's a UN event um held up in Glasgow, brings together all of the world leaders to discuss um solutions to the climate crisis. It was at a COP event in the past where um we had the Paris Climate Accords, which is where um the top countries in the world agreed to a 1.5% temperature increase as a as an absolute ceiling. What that means is that the top countries in the world, the leading countries in the world, agreed that one, if the temperature increased by 1.5 degrees from pre-industrial levels, that will be a catastrophic climate event. It, that will be the point at which we start to see uninhabitable worlds. Um, and so they have all agreed that that 1.5 was the was the sort of end game. Um, at our current rate of emissions, we will get to 1.5 degrees when I'm 48. <laughs> so. Not very long. And um, and that means that this is, you know, it's really quite serious. And so COP26 is a very exciting event just because it has got this heritage of, you know, aligning lead like aligning countries and their leadership behind key goals and then holding each other accountable. Um, and so and it's also exciting that it's in Glasgow, right, because it's in it's in the UK. Uh, it's bringing all the world leaders here. It's showing our leadership. Uh, I have a friend who's uh, a great inspiration to me. She works in Plymouth at an Asian Conservancy charity, and they are planting fields of seagrass on the beaches and um, the coastline of the UK. And seagrass is this like incredibly sexy thing that like pulls carbon dioxide from the seas and cleans the water and solves pollution and creates jobs. And like, oh, my God, if ever you're feeling down, just Google seagrass and like get, get reading. <laughs> So he's going to COP26, yeah, as someone that's representing the UK's commitment to, to protecting the ocean. So it's a really, really exciting meeting of minds. What's the ad industry's involvement through AdNet Zero? You know, what's happening? Well, AdNet Zero is uh, is led by the Advertising Association. Uh, every major agency has now signed up to the AdNet Zero commitment, which means uh, they're committed to a net carbon negative advertising supply chain by 2030. So it's got, we've got a little while to go, um, you know, 2030 gives us time to figure out how we're going to do it, because I think that's the, the the sort of cold reality of Adnet Zero is that we've we've all signed up to the commitment, but we don't really know how we're going to get there yet. Any sort of thoughts, ideas, punches on how this will happen? As you say, it's such a complex thing for an injury to move, and I guess it's easy to sign up for things. We see this all the time. Yeah, But then action is always the toughest thing. What's your hint to how it's going to go? I mean, just use the green ad tag, first and foremost. Like that generally. And then also, you know, the um, AdNet Zero have created a carbon calculator that looks at every uh, media channel. It's quite top line, but it's very, very broad. And then Goodloop has created a carbon calculator specifically for digital media. And that, I think, is a great example where you've got an industry body at a top level doing quite broad strokes, and then Goodloop as a supplier doing a more in-depth analysis of our particular piece of the pie. So then if everybody can kind of do that, then we then I hopefully we'll start to get these layers of insight with, with AdNet Zero, you know, unifying it and, and helping kind of guide people as to where they need to need to be we're never going to be good loop are never going to be the experts on how to deliver 
sustainable out of home media. So if we can just, you know, own our piece and have, hold ourselves responsible for that, and then Clear Channel and out of home providers can can do the same on their side. You know, I think we'll we'll all we'll all push each other to be better. And that that's the final thing I'd say on this actually, like in terms of the the collaboration piece. This is a competitive advantage. The businesses in our industry that 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 pull their finger out, that deliver sustainable, green, simple solutions for brands, they're the ones that are going to get spend, you know, because big brands like Apple, Volkswagen, they have their own carbon neutral targets. And so if we can be the suppliers that help them get there, then that's a commercial opportunity. Yeah, that's always a good message that needs more action sometimes than doing good. So let's talk a bit about your products. You've recently launched uh, Tabs for Good, which I, I had a casual glance and I love. Uh, so talk about that, how it works and why you launched it and what you hope it's going to do. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a fun product, actually. Uh, the, I would say the, ov- the overarching idea of Good Loop is your time, your attention and your data online is valuable to advertisers. So let's harness that value. Let's empower people to use that value to to, to do good. Um, and so Tabs for Good is a perfect articulation of that goal. It's a really simple browser plugin. Anyone can use it. Any member of the public can download it. We pull in ads from our programmatic exchange, and then um, those ads display every time you open a new tab. And I am so bad for this. I have like 100 tabs open at any one time. Yeah. So basically, you open a new tab, it pulls, pulls in an ad, and the user, when they download the extension, they can choose the charity that they want to support. So um, it kind of comes back to that sense of empowerment and collaboration and, and treating consumers like partners rather than targets online. So uh, we're really excited about it. Okay, so let's talk about um, you know your business model generally. Say you've been going since 2016, you've had huge financial success, lots of everyone, lots of brands getting bored. So explain to me how it works and how I guess how it's changed since when that sort of fateful chat you had about you know <laughs> with your partner. But how's it changed? What's it doing now? And importantly, how are agencies and, and brands working with you? So our business model is is fundamentally about working with advertisers to deliver positive ad experiences that have a value exchange for the consumer. So an example of that, uh, we work with um, Pepsi. Pepsi have just launched their new recyclable bottles, fully recyclable plastic and fully recyclable. Um, And so they are really proud of this initiative. They're they're showing quite impressive leadership in in their space. And we've worked with them. So essentially, every time someone watches that ad online, we we distribute it programmatically. Every time someone watches it and completes the video, then they unlock a donation and they can fund recycling initiatives and keep Britain tidy and various charities that work in this space. So it's a great kind of it's a great way of Pepsi saying, look, your attention is valuable to us. You can skip this out if you wish to, but if you don't, you get to do a bit of good in collaboration with us and you get to choose the charity. Again, going back to empowerment, choice, consumers being a partner. So this is an example of a campaign that we run with Pepsi where they would pay us on a cost per completed view model. So it's cost per success. If everybody skips the ad, you don't pay us a penny, but if they don't skip and they give you a bit of the, yeah, their precious time and attention, then you you make a donation and you, and you pay for the completed view. And it's always 50%. 50% is a transparent, clear promise that we make to consumers. If you see a Good Loop advert, you know 50% of the cost of that ad has gone to good causes. 
Um, and the same with all our green media that we run. Uh, so we have a, an ad format called This Ad Plants Trees. <laughs> it's the most say what you see product we've ever built. But basically, every time you watch the ad, you plant a tree. And um, again, it's 50-50. Always 50% of the cost of the ad goes to tree planting and tree protection projects. Um, so that's that's sort of it in a nutshell. And actually, the way we work with brands and advertisers has been a really interesting journey. When I started this business, I was just calling up mates and I, you know, asking favours. I think of all the challenges of starting a company, getting the first sale is the hardest thing I've ever done. Getting someone to give you money for a thing that does not exist and has never existed before is it, it, it honestly does feel impossible for most of the time. I, it took me six months to get our first sale and it ended up being 150 quid from a, a friend of a friend. Like, honestly, it was so ridiculous. But because, you know, every brand wants to be innovative, but no one wants to be the first. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so the first year was a lot of hustling and uh, getting a lot, pulling a lot of favours. By the end of the first year, we'd got a deal with Unilever. And obviously, Unilever are such an industry leader, both in terms of ad tech and investing in innovative products, but also in terms of sustainability and and social impact. You know, they have a really, really um, impressive strategy around building brands that matter. So that was just I mean, that was a game changer. We got some press coverage for it and suddenly people started calling me, which was crazy and saying, I've heard about this thing you're doing. Um, and so we started to build the team and, and, and build and, you know, end up getting people much more specialized and, and, and good at sales than I am. Um, and so the first two years after that was very much brand direct. It was innovation budgets. It was test and learns. It was um, not even really working with marketing teams. It was working with sort of startup and tech and innovation teams. Um, and then slowly, as the budget started to grow, they'd push us to the agencies which the agencies hated, of course, because we're some some random startup that their clients are bugging them about and they've got, you know, a million other things on their plate. But once we get into the agencies and once we proved ourselves and we showed we're going to increase complete view rates, we're going to increase ad recall, we're going to show, you know, the business benefits of doing good through this, then, then we really started to scale. And the agencies have been amazing partners over the last 18 months I'd say they are now you know our, our main sort of source of revenue and Good Loop sits on a media plan like any other media okay. partner. What I'm interested in as well is the the data and the, the lessons all that sort of stuff that you're giving both agencies and brands because it, every single agency every brand wants people to watch the whole of their ad online and we all know that most people just don't you know so you're you're is it bribing the right word you, you know you're you're <laughs> helping forcing consumers to, to consume these experiences. So you must be getting an amazing amount of data that's really helpful to the advertisers to know what just what what works best. Yeah, a hundred percent. It is it's like it's an ethical incentive, right? It's it's saying you don't have to watch this ad. We get that you're busy, but your attention is valuable. So if you want to give a little bit of your time, then you get to do good. And the thing that the advertisers really like is yeah, it's incentivized for you, but it's an incentive that is intrinsically linked to the brand values you know when, when you watch an ad from dove and then you can fund self-esteem workshops that really reinforces the the brand message and and makes the ad much more memorable and much more emotional so um so yeah that, that's sort of the proposition i suppose and actually um it's it's been fantastic seeing that 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 kind of adoption across the brands and see brands really like lean into that um so yeah really really positive 
I don't feel like well, I answered your question then. What was your question again? Well, I guess I'll, I'll sort of, I will frame it a bit. In terms of, because you you are, this data shows quite oh, yeah. powerfully what works best. You know, and that's every agency and every brand spends billions in to working this out. But you, know, I suppose this is quite a powerful tool. So what have you seen? What's the most interesting insights you can glean from this in terms of what what ads, what creatives work best? What, you know, what formats, what, what things in ad experiences just do work best? Yeah, and actually, you're spot on. The data piece is so interesting. So uh, an example of this, we work with H&M. They have a conscious collection, and we help them promote and share um, information about that conscious collection. The first campaign we worked with them on, they weren't really sure what charities to support. They, they hadn't really done anything in this space, and it was quite new. And they, they sort of worked with Goodloop as quite a light-touch way to sort of test out brand purpose. Um, so we just we recommended them some charities. We have a, a charity matchmaking service and we have three different causes, one of which was WWF. So we ran that ad and we found over 65 percent of the consumers that saw that advert chose to give their donation to WWF. So real strong preference for that charity, which was great insight. So then the second time we worked with them, we actually stripped out the other causes. And instead of having three charities to choose from, all the money went to that one charity, but the user could choose if they wanted to support the Turtle Nest Mapping Projects, the Rhino Protection Fund, or the Schools and Youth Program. And so WWF love that because it's like a nice piece of storytelling for their various projects. And H&M love it because it's you know galvanizing the support of a charity that clearly resonates with their consumers. So yeah, there's some really, really nice insight to glean. And, and also looking at purposeful comms versus product-led comms we did an a b test with pacifico beer um, with two pieces of creative one of which was much more purposeful and one was much more product both did well Um, the interesting insights were the purposeful creative drove more advocacy more people were significantly more likely to recommend to the to friends and also in the purposeful creative there was a specific mention of one of the charities and and then that charity got most of the donations so there's an interesting link between the content and the charity choice in the product ad we found um much more uh, ad recall much more brand brand awareness and ad recall so i think that's a perfect illustration of like the role that purpose plays and and whether it is and isn't relevant to a brand. Well, I loved your phrase just then. Uh, it let them test out brand purpose, and as you as you say, I mean, every brand now has to have a purpose, and uh, some brands do it better than others. There's you know, mm. lots of accusations of people bandwagon jumping, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this idea of testing out brand purpose is that's something that Good Loop can really help brands actually do if they've got it right, if they if their hunch is correct. I think it's quite thing isn't it you, you can get it wrong quite easily and it can really backfire and you do see examples of brands put their head above the parapet and then get shot down and and, that, and that's right you know I think we as consumers should always hold businesses accountable and call out bullshit and check for greenwashing and never allow businesses to get away with with doing one thing and saying another but when there is genuine intent and genuine um a genuine change behind the scenes then I think purpose is a really really powerful business tool um, and Goodloop is a partner that helps brands gain confidence in that you know whether it's we don't really know what charities we want to put a few out and get feedback or whether it's about actually 
we do all of this in the background, but we don't know how to talk about it. You know, Quaker Oats work with us and um, they, they've they had a, a huge partnership with Feeding America. They've worked with Feeding America for, 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 for decades. And Quaker as a business is obviously rooted in Quaker traditions and, and and is very sort of family focused and has this heritage of kindness, but it's been a bit lost and I think they've lost their way a bit. And so for for, for them, by working with Goodloop, you give this really explicit and clear donation to Feeding America in a way that doesn't feel self-serving and it doesn't feel in your face. And, you know, together with consumers, they've funded half a million meals for families below the poverty line. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a sense of kind of collaborating with consumers. And I think Brand purpose can so often become a bit of a vanity project, whereas really, when you think about the the role of brand purpose in building a brand, it's about how your brand helps your consumers to do and feel good. How is your brand a platform for them to express their social values and to engage in the things that are close to their heart? And so taking some of that ego away and and using it. Apologies. Too popular, but yeah, I think that's taking some of that ego away and using purpose as a as a platform to give consumers a chance to do good. That's where you really see commercial value in it. Well, so what is there anything cynical here uh, with brands? Because obviously, brands want, as I said before, consumers to see their ads, and brands want consumers to watch their videos on YouTube. And by working with you, they can guarantee that will happen. So, is there any cynicism here? You see that brands go to just for that purpose. And could a brand advertise something that was was bad for planet, or, or you know, a, a mm. brand with more of nefarious in some way purposes, and still use good loop to make sure consumers engage? Mm. I don't know if I mind that. Okay. I don't know if I might. I think I think perfection can be the enemy of progress, and if we can work with a business that isn't perfect, but that is interested in doing good and wants to dip their toe in and we can help them do that in an easy way and go back to them with business results that says look you talked about saving the planet and it drove consideration by you know 50% and it increased your purchase intent by 20%. So suddenly you started this conversation within a business that perhaps would have never ever gone that route before but they've they've got they've got social impact framed within a language and within a a framework that they understand and that they can make decisions around. I I see that as a much more important and powerful purpose for my company than working with the businesses that are already doing good and that don't really need our help. That being said, there is, of course, a risk of greenwashing. And we have to be really, really careful with the brands we work with. We actually have a, a democratic process within the company. Every time we receive a new brief, everyone can vote on whether they feel that that brief aligns with our with our own internal values. Um, and, and we have a, a framework for that and we have kind of guidelines of what is and isn't the brands we'd work with. For example, we wouldn't work, we wouldn't run a campaign that we felt was increasing damage to the planet in any way we wouldn't we we wouldn't run a a Heathrow extension campaign right like we don't need more planes in the sky um so we we have our own kind of red lines on it and that is a democratic process where everyone in the company votes and sometimes that leads to some awkward conversations but on the whole it, it, it means that we can be proud of what we do what's your objection rate how many campaigns do get voted out or turned down oh um I would say it's a probably one or two a quarter, and um, there's a few that really smart. <laughs> there's a few where you're like, 
Oh, that's a lot of money. Oh, man. <laughs> but you've got to do it because that's what, you know, I think short term, there's some big campaigns we turn down. Long term, we want Good Loop to be the fair trade stamp in advertising. We want to have the authority and the authenticity to, 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 to really meaningfully change this industry. And that means taking a stand a little bit and being a bit brave. Fantastic. So let's talk a bit more about the company itself in terms of how have you grown? You obviously have lots more people than the start with, obviously, a startup, but what sorts of people do you gave? What sorts of people do you want? You know, what, what, how is the company structured? And how is the company structured differently from any other programmatic platform out there, which there are quite a few, as we know? <laughs> yeah. Um... So we are um, a split team. We have a development team based up in Scotland. We are a Scottish business. And then we have a commercial team based in London. We're about to start building out a team in New York as well. Um, so I'm going to be moving there later uh, next year and we'll be launching in the US in um, sometime in 22. So uh, that's that's exciting and it's really nice as well having those hubs and having like a really good spread across, across the UK and, and, and as we grow. The team is then divided um, by agency patch. So we have a, a kind of sales structure that reflects our customer structure. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're now growing that out. We're building out our patch system. We're actually hiring three new salespeople at the moment across Omnicom, Group M and um, across um, the US. Um, and then we have, uh, yeah, we have like a, a marketing team and an ops team. We've just recently invested in in building a bit of a customer success team, a customer services team. And then within that, we have a Good Loop Studio, which is our kind of creative studio with the designers and, and, and front end developers so that we can be quite agile and, and create quite cool stuff for our clients. Um, in terms of how we're different, I would say the main thing is, Honestly, I'm seeing Good Loop as a little bit of a personal experiment in building a company that scales whilst still being sustainable and still being true to our values. So there's a couple of things we're trying out that are a little bit unusual. For example, we have a staff elected board member. A member of our staff sit on the board every single board meeting. And that's a, a role that's elected at our AGM. It's someone from any layer of the business, anyone can put themselves forwards. And then we have a, a little election process and, and then they are the staff rep. And, and that's wow. that's been really interesting because often in board meetings, I'm talking about salaries, I'm talking about growing the team or, or underperforming teams or, you know, really important, but quite confidential conversations, yeah. but conversations that affect the staff and that, you know, they should have a say in and they should be able to raise issues or, um, you know, address areas of the business at that senior level so that's been a massive learning curve um we also have a fully transparent pay policy everyone in the company knows what everyone else earns oh really um, okay that's interesting well that, I, must been, that must be quite i mean i don't think i could sort of that terrifies me really it must have been scary to launch I mean, in in terms of building rods for my own back, I <laughs> built quite a big one there. But I believe in it because I think opacity around pay only benefits the employer. The only reason that we don't talk about pay is because we have a culture built by the establishment to control workers. 
if you know how much your colleagues are being paid, then there's two things. Firstly, you will never have a gender pay gap because it would get called out immediately. And secondly, the employer would never pay someone something they couldn't justify publicly. And so I think that's really, really, really important. I, whenever I offer anyone a job now, you know, they might try and negotiate the salary. I hope I would offer them a generous and great salary. But I also would say, look, well, just so you know, if you came in on this salary, this is what everyone else is on. So you, do you feel that you can just, how much are you going to bring into the company? How much value are you going to bring? And if we can get to a place and say, yeah, actually, that is a good salary because you will bring in this value and you will create this, then that's a place where everyone can kind of respect each other. And um, and yeah, and, and I think that's, it's, it's just like all the difficult ethical decisions we make. It makes things harder. But at the end of the day, it, it makes Good Leap a company that I am I'm, I'm really proud to build. How many issues has it caused? I mean, I don't want you to say. We've lost uh, people. Uh, like we've, lost we've, we've offered people jobs and they've not joined um, because we couldn't reach the salaries they wanted. Not because we couldn't afford the salaries, but because we knew you, you, you plonk that salary into the other salaries and suddenly everyone else is upset. So it's just not feasible in a way that where it, if it was hidden and secretive, you could pay them double everyone else and not no one would really know um so we've yeah we've lost people not many though honestly um because we complement that with equity every single employee in good loop has equity we share ownership of the business because if you're going to invest your time and your worth and your value and your attention you should share in the rewards of that Wow, I would have gone work for Goodly, first thing. So <laughs> just almost sort of lastly, you mentioned you're moving to the US. What about what about APAC? And also, importantly, what are the different agency and advertiser sort of views on this area of purpose globally? What have you seen the differences to be? So we are investing in the US really heavily now. Uh, over a third of our turnover comes from the States and uh, we work with some fantastic brands over there. It's all been remote, but we launched from a standing start into the States in May of last year with not a single person on the ground. And that has been so great. I, I, I really underestimated how much we could do remotely. Obviously, it's crazy times and that might not continue. Um, so now, yeah, we are uh, going to get boots on the ground. We're raising a Series A investment round at the moment, and that will be invested in a US expansion strategy. Um, APEC is slightly lower down the priority list for a couple of reasons. Just firstly, from a sort of ease perspective, like shared language-ish and shared culture means that the US is um, lower hanging fruit. Also in the US, there is a, a cultural um fit we have a uh, we've seen a huge uptake in commercial giving in the states that the welfare state is slightly less established in the us so charities play a much larger role in society and corporations are held to much higher standards of of philanthropy so um so we, we just we just tick a lot of boxes for businesses in the us and actually there's tax uh, benefits as well to giving in the states that, that aren't in the uk those tax benefits are also um, applicable in France and in Australia. So those are two markets that we're looking at. Um, and we do run campaigns across APAC. We have an agency we're partnered with in Japan, in fact. But um, but it's much more like touch for the time being. What have you said? What's the, the differences in uh, just general view and outlook on this sort of area of purpose, especially mm. when it comes to digital in, in America compared to the UK? I mean, how are, you know, how are 
Are your relationships different at different levels? Are they you know, how, how are things different? Brand purpose is quite mature in the UK. I think Unilever, you know, 2014, Unilever did that study that showed their sustainable and social brands grew 50% faster than the rest of their portfolio. And so from 2014 onwards, Unilever have been leading the way and been growing, you know, global brands like Dove. Dove is soap. Soap is the most boring product in the world. And they've managed to make Dove one of the world's biggest brands because they talk about real women and self-esteem and, and challenging fake beauty standards, stuff that matters, right? And so we've been seeing that. And I think that coupled with uh, a massive increase in consumer activism. Um, I saw a quote, the other, a stat the other day, protest signs on Pinterest have increased by 6,000% in the last 18 months. I, I, I might be butchering that stat, but the sentiment of it is really interesting, right? This idea that as a, as a consumer group in these, in these more um, wealthy and developed markets, we started to look beyond ourselves. The, the, sort of the Maslow hierarchy of needs ends with self-actualization, but actually once you've, once you've achieved all your own goals and you've got your family sorted and you're, you've got food on the table, well, what about the planet? What about your future generations? What about your grandkids' grandkids? Like this bigger collective consciousness. That, that's, sl that's slower to um, be the case in some other markets. We're finding um, another reason why APAC is a market that we're slightly less um, developed in or prioritizing is because there is less consumer demand for sustainable and socially, um, socially aware products. It's, it's generally, it's a premium, right? We pay more to buy Ecova or Method or, you know, these ethical brands. And until being conscious becomes affordable, I think it is less realistic to expect it to take hold in some of the markets where consumers have less spending power. Very, very good point. Well, Amy, I think we're running out of time. So thank you so much. That was just a fantastic chat. Inspirational all the way through. So thank you so yeah. much for spending time with us. I feel like I just talked at you for so long. I'm really sorry. That was a pleasure. I like being talked at by you. But anyway, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>